truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Oh, and are we locked and loaded today? I am Steve Dace, live and on demand on The Blaze. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. For those of you listening on Blaze Radio or later today or at any time on demand on the podcast. And if you are, thank you. If you have time today to leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice, we would greatly appreciate it. Coming up a little bit later on today's show, Pop Culture Tuesday, um, Rotten Tomatoes, the progressive movie review site, has a list of the greatest moments of female empowerment in cinema history. And Todd is the father of four daughters. I am. You, you've been, you know, you've got a, a, a little experience with some female empowerment, right? I provid- If there's any providential role in my life, it's to be the father of four daughters. Okay. So I'm going to run by you what the paragons of popular culture are defining as female empowerment in the most influential platform in America today, Hollywood. And you're going to tell me, you're going to give me the commonest thumb up, thumb down. Can I make a quick prediction? There won't be too many thumbs up. <laughs> I think I'll be channeling uh, a prophet named Steve Dace who once said, no. No. So we'll have some fun with that a little bit later on. Also, uh, we're going to take an in-depth look next hour uh, as well at where things stand early on in the Democratic presidential race, which is occurring right here in our home state, or at least it's getting underway, where things stand and what level of crazy have we reached? Where will it potentially max out? What is the environment? We'll get into that. Do a little recon on what's going on on the uh, on the other side of the septic tank uh, coming up uh, next hour as well with someone who's got a lot of experience covering those things. Has been a guest on our show in the past. But uh, our opening hour today is going to be a lot of things. It's going to be today's truth bomb. Uh, it's going to be fake news or not. Uh, it is a lot of things all rolled into one in our opening hour today. And it all begins with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Trump TV. The New Yorker recently published what amounts to a small book detailing the many facets and relationships surrounding Fox News and Donald Trump, opening with complaints from conservatives like Bill Kristol and Jennifer Rubin that Fox has turned into Trump's chief propaganda arm. The story then reveals how the former mogul and current president's path began, crossed, diverged, and then remerged to what it is today with Fox News. Now, as I said, this New Yorker piece amounts to something like a book, and there's no way to properly distill the whole thing down into three or four minutes. But here are the top 10 takeaways from the New Yorker piece entitled, The Making of the Fox News White House. Number one, Fox News behaves the same way for Trump that all the other networks would for a Democrat president. Two, Fox may have fed Trump's team debate questions at one point. Three, Fox behaves the same way for Trump that all the other networks would for a Democrat president. Four, Fox News personalities are routinely involved with White House conference calls. Five, Fox behaves the same way for Trump that all the other networks would for a Democrat president. Six, 
Trump apparently has a number from 1 to 10 for every Fox News personality rating their loyalty to him. Sean Hannity is a 10. Number 7. Fox behaves the same way for Trump that all the other networks would for a Democrat president. Number 8. It was no coincidence that Fox dropped the fair and balanced slogan in 2017. Number 9. Fox behaves the same way for Trump that all the other networks would for a Democrat president. Number 10. Fox's Diana Falzone had the story about Trump's relationship with Stormy Daniels before the election, but Fox Brass spiked it, saying, quote, Good reporting, kiddo, but Rupert wants Donald Trump to win, so just let it go. And then one bonus one. Fox behaves the same way for Trump that all the other networks would for a Democrat president. The feeling most people get when they hear a Barack Obama speech, my, I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, well, I don't have that too often. Steady. In completely unrelated news, promo code DACE gets you 10 bucks off an annual subscription to Blaze TV. You know, if you want to support our fledgling little outfit here. And that's what happened while we were away. You guys ready for this conversation? Oh, boy. There's nothing better than when the voice of reason in a progressive room is Keith Olbermann. <laughs> Easy now. Um, so I was told uh, a few weeks ago by one of the sources to this article. Um, and he's the source that uh, let it be known that Fox was leaking debate questions to the Trump campaign during the prim- the first primary debate. Uh, is basically a way of offsetting Megyn Kelly's um, Trump criticism and skepticism. And so it was the highest uh, thresholds of of Fox's management as a way of offsetting that were uh, leaking uh, questions to the Trump campaign to have them prepared for that debate. I, I was told that by one of the sources for the story who would have firsthand knowledge of something like that would actually occur. And so I've known this story was coming for a few weeks. I, did I tell you guys about this when I heard about this a couple weeks ago yeah. to be on the lookout yeah. for this? Okay. Vaguely, yes. All right. Now, I, I read the story when it came out yesterday. You guys have read the story too? Yep. Yep. Okay. Tell me if your read of this story, because Aaron's montage is essentially my read of the story as well. And Aaron, today we did something different where Aaron let me listen to it ahead of time. In, in the t- two plus years we've been formatting our show this way, how often have we done that? Uh, zero. Yeah. I mean, I, you typically do this 99.99999% of the time, mm-hmm. totally independent of where I, you know, on your own, no guidance for me. I may tell you, hey, throw this topic in there, but mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't know that I've ever told you this is our slant on it or sure. what your, your take is, right? So today um, we did a little checking just because we wanted to make sure that this conversation didn't ramble on. Uh, well, more than it already will. But, uh, you know, ramble on in, in places that, you know, we're fine rambling on where we want to ramble. Okay. Uh, when I read this story, like the first eight paragraphs are essentially a summation of every complaint and or really petulant whine legacy, traditional, mainstream, liberal, whatever you want to call it, media, has had about Fox News for 20 years. Was that your read? Yeah. You read that too? I mean, I felt like I was reading a summation of every anti-Fox News polemic, you know, from long before Donald Trump, uh, you know, became a Republican in 2011. I mean, I I felt like I could have read this in 1998, 
2002, 2005. Didn't you feel that I way? I was in the Des Moines Register newsroom 15 years ago having these conversations. Right. All right. Then you get to the middle of the column or the article or the opinion piece, whatever you want to call it. The, the, the stuff in the middle is bad. I mean, there's no yeah. way to stress. I mean, it's really bad. Mm. But it's stuff that either directly or indirectly we've been talking about yes. on this show forever. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's why, I, you know, and I should put this disclaimer out there, okay? I don't watch it. I don't like watch any of them. Um, I look at, I look at, I'm interested in what you're interested in. So when I see you in the audience talking about something or sharing something, I get interested in it. So I know what you're interested in. I don't consume this on any level whatsoever. If I came in here and you guys were watching these channels, what would I tell you to do? Turn it off. Turn it off. I don't want, I can't handle it. I don't, I can't, I can't handle the group think I, I can't tolerate it. I can't inhabit the same space as it. Okay. Um, I've been on Fox news twice in the last uh, seven years and both on Sunday afternoons. Um, I, I, I've, we hired our publisher for the truth bombs, hired a woman named Jen Kern, who used to be, well, at least that's what she claims, a booking producer at Fox. And we hired her in advance of the book coming out in January. At her recommendation, we hired her at the beginning of December to give her like a full month to ramp up so that she would have time to introduce me to, you know, more of their producers and things of that nature. She introduced me to nobody in more than two months. Um, I would get these, and I could like show you the emails. I mean, I would get these like weird, you know, veiled uh references to uh you know she has to be careful mentioning my name um i didn't realize you know i really was on anybody's radar frankly i'm 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 in iowa i mean you only have one hundred six thousand likes on facebook yes and it's and that's after and that's less than i had last week after adding 94 according to facebook thank you um it's public school math (laughs) so you know then she would send us these updates hey you're close to getting on um and she even mentioned Tucker Carlson's show as one of the shows. This was prior to him talking about some of the cultural issues that we addressed. This was before Christmas. They finally booked me for another Sunday afternoon appearance. It was the Sunday after Christmas. And then they canceled on me. And then she told me that they canceled on me because they the of the shutdown and they were going in another direction. And then this Jen Kern woman told me that they actually lied to me. That they did the segment anyway without me. Um... But she didn't ever use the term blacklist. But if I showed you the emails, I mean, she would define a blacklisting. Why am I telling you this? Because I don't believe people don't have biases. And we should just be honest about what they are. There's been one objective human being in all of human history. And he and, and, and it was only because he was simultaneously God incarnate was he capable of this. We, we can't overcome. We can't we can't overcome our biases to the, to the extent that we can be totally free of them. We can overcome them by being transparent about them and letting, and, and then letting others take that into account. You know, there's a proverb that says one man's story seems true until you hear the other side. I want you to know what my biases are. Okay. About this. Um, I, I'm not a fan. I don't like consuming it. I haven't been a fan long before Trump. It's just to me, it's it's whoever the GOP shill is at the time. That's really what it is. I'm not a fan of it. 
Um, so factor all of everything into that. You should know those things. You know, I'm not claiming some kind of moral high ground here. I'm an observer like you guys are. I don't know a lot of these people. Like I read last night that the meteorologist on Fox and Friends is coming out with a book that says Roger Ailes sexually harassed her too. She still works for the network. I didn't know who she was because I don't watch. So I'm, I'm disclosing this up front so you can take whatever bias I bring. And I don't know what you guys are at, but I mean, bring, that's what we bring to the table. And you should consider that when, when you filter your thoughts on ours from this time forward. Okay. The middle part of the article is everything we've ever thought about Fox. You know, I sat here after we won Iowa with the Cruz campaign and I watched Fox News essentially ignore him and build Marco Rubio up for the next two weeks like it was the greatest third place finish in the history of human competition. It was like the opening to Wild World of Sports. Marco Rubio's amazing third place finish. Um, I've, I've watched Fox over and over again try to game primaries and decide who gets to win and who does not with the candidates that they viewed as acceptable. I've had members of Congress tell me we can't talk about certain issues that we all care about because, quote, that won't play on Fox tonight. And um, I can ask Daniel Horowitz and it comes on tomorrow. He's heard it even more than I have. In many respects, I have a love-hate relationship with them because they're the, they're, the, they're the one major outlet other than the one I work for. Now we have the second largest platform in conservative media behind only Fox now here at The Blaze. Other than the one I work for, and then there's others, you know, I put uh, the Daily Wire in that group, for example, and a few others. There are only, you know, um, so many major platforms in the industry where my viewpoint is, is even entertained. Our viewpoint is. And as much as, you know, the shill aspect of Fox grates on me, they also provide opportunities for people like Tucker Carlson to have, as we've addressed in the recent weeks on our show, a rather meaningful conversation that would occur on no other cable network, on no other broadcast network. And it's not as easy, it's, it's not easy for me to say the reason I haven't been booked on there is because um, I'm an independent thinker. I see Ali Stuckey goes on there a lot. You know, it could be very easy. I, I may not just be that good, you know? I mean, that's a possibility, you know? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, so I don't feel, feel like I'm victimized by not being booked on there. I have a complicated relationship with Fox like I know many of you do because I get emails and I have for years and years and years about this. On one hand, they grate on you and annoy you. On the other hand, you have to recognize they're the only of, of the major broadcast networks even willing to entertain that we are allowed to exist and think this way on any level at all. And so you're not really sure. It's a little bit like the Republican Party in a way, right? You're, you, you know that they're not really with you, but they're not totally against you either. And so you're like, you know... Are we on the same side or how much should I tolerate the things about you that annoy me? Is that, is that, a, you yeah. think of, is that a good explanation? What do you think? It's good. It's depressing, but it's good. Yeah, yeah. it and works. Mutually beneficial um, relationship, mutually assured destruction, right. something like that. Right. This article in The New Yorker should have been far more damaging to Fox's reputation, but it will have no impact at all. I mean, none, none. Bingo. And the reason it will have none is because of how it begins and how it ends. It begins with a progressive lament. I think, you know, I think Eric Erickson at The Resurgent, and he said this publicly before, 
that he got taken off Fox during the Tea Party era because Mitch McConnell's wife got tired, called, called Roger Ailes and got tired of him being on there and criticizing Mitch McConnell. So that, this goes to what I told you yesterday, this idea that this is all new with Trump. No, it's not new. It's not new, guys. Just the names have changed. Now, something new is occurring. I'm not saying nothing new is happening, but we have the wrong new, and I'm going to talk about that later in this hour, okay? Something new is happening. Something wicked this way comes. But it's not the new most people think. We'll get into that here in a few minutes. But the idea that the system in, in, on the right is gamed for gaining access and a seat at the table to whoever is the, the face of the GOP and the power broker at the time, that is not new on any level. And Eric Erickson, I saw that he tweeted yesterday that he tried reading this New Yorker article because he's not predisposed to be a Fox apologist either. And he couldn't get past the first seven or eight paragraphs because of what we just said. Because it just reads like every left-wing polemic against Fox ever written long before there was a Donald Trump. Back when Sean Hannity wasn't even a solo show, but was doing a show with Alan Combs every night. They've been saying this since 1996, guys. And then at the end, they affirmatively quote Media Matters. I think I counted two or three times, right? Yeah. It's more than one. They affirmatively quote Media Matters as if they're some kind of a source. Media Matters is the worst of communist propagandist hackery in the media. The worst. The worst. It's, it's literally if the Southern Poverty Law Center pretended to be the media. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's like every stereotype you have of, of, of left-wingers is what Media Matters is. It, it has no interest in the truth. It is a propaganda vehicle for paganism. That's what it is. And it's affirmatively quoted in this New Yorker piece as if, you know, they are, they are the purveyors and, and onlookers. They're the two uh, guys in the Muppets from the balcony who just can't even with what is happening as they clutch their pearls ever more tightly. So because of the beginning and the end, which as a, you know, I, I know a thing or two about writing. I'm not, you know, a multi, multiple New York Times bestseller, but I've written some things that people have actually read. And I can pretty much tell you that when your beginning and ending sucks, no one's going to care about what's in the middle. This is not Ronan Farrow at the New Yorker taking down Harvey Weinstein, stepping on the neck of a shibboleth on any level. This is a whiny leftist whining who buries her own lead, who buries the, the, who buries the real evidence she has because she's not interested in the truth. She's interested in her truth. It is similar to what we've seen in this era of Trump. Trump goes out there and says dumb things all the time. They're not, but, but th that, that's not, they, no, they need to make him a racist and a Nazi and a fascist because they're not interested in the truth. They're interested in their truth. They're interested in their narrative being affirmed. And that's what this article is. Am I wrong? Agree or disagree? No, I've, I've never seen an article who on the one hand, it's, it's the thrust of its main point about its main target fox it, it's unassailable unassailably true that it, it they they've got them on this and furthermore this author who did this if you see her name in the future run not because she's good and she's got you because you can't trust her on any level those things are both 
true. And it's because of what Steve's uh, got done saying. But you, you can go even further. It's not just the specific uh, uh, sources that they have, but it. she keeps throwing out there how the business of real journalism and how journalists do things in the mainstream media. And th- th- there's everybody who pays any attention, even the people who believe what she believes. And I was like, well, that's... Come on, girl, that's a little crazy. But she couldn't leave it alone. She had to virtue signal, which is increasingly what journalists are doing more and more because they can't stop. They won't stop. This is like uh, uh, a cult. This is the emperor who now at the return of uh, the revenge of the Sith, I am the Senate. They want to tell you now uh, that that they are the ones we've been waiting for. They they aren't just just journalists. They are the arbiters of as you said, thumbs up and thumbs down. So it's it, it it's so brazen. As we as Steve says many times on you know we will talk about the news on MSNBC, CNN. If we, he just got done saying Ronan Farrow, we're we're not afraid of where the truth comes from. We believe in following the truth wherever it leads. So if MSNBC finds it before whoever, Amen. We'll go there. But this it, it's unbelievable. It, it, the truth, the, their version of the truth. That's that's the scary thing. It, that's not even enough for them. These people are tyrants, and so it's not just a fact that they handed. Now do with it what you will. No, 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 no. You're going to swallow it. You're yep. going to swallow it hard. You're going to swallow it over and over and over again. And and you can tell that they that she screwed this up by the fact that this isn't the lead story, and 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 sh- and and it's not all over liberal media mainstream media that 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 if she had done this right this is all they would have talked about yesterday okay but the fact that she couldn't resist the temptations that you described she can't even do her own propaganda well correct okay that that's because she had to delve into virtue signaling because because the, <laughs> the folks at cnn you know there's a reason why you don't see Media Matters commentators on even Don Lemon's show where the truth goes to die, okay? Because they understand. They understand that there's certain triggers where if they are this brazen, they're literally admitting to you, we are lying to you right now. Mm-hmm. They know this. She she ran through every one of those yield and stop signs. Right. You, she ran through every last one of them and put them all in there, okay? So there's nine people at a cocktail party somewhere in Manhattan that are slapping her on the back telling her what a great job she did, but I can promise you she's disappointed by the lack of play this has gotten from her own peers, and she has, she has only herself to blame because what she did in writing this, and this is why you put what you put in the montage, Aaron, that she basically, when you sum it up, it is how dare Fox news do for the republican party we had we had two dozen members of the media go back and forth between the obama administration and the mainstream media in the eight years he was president over two dozen it was like 26 of them we counted them all right 26 of them jay carney was literally the white house correspondent for time magazine when we were kids he was the spokesperson for the obama white house guys Okay, I mean, Donna Brazil was leaking questions in the last, remember, that was the big controversy with her. Yeah. Okay, their whole thing, Aaron, is basically how dare Fox News try to game the system for the other team the way we've been doing it for our team all these years. That's basically it. Yeah, and I I wish I would have thought of this idea as I was was coming up with that montage, but I thought about just stopping right in the middle of it and putting in the definition of the word self or the term self-awareness. Because it is nowhere to be found. Of course, the motto on this 
show is that self-awareness is always four-dimensional. No, self-awareness is always dead. It uh, is dead in America. And that is the epitome of this story. Look in the mirror. But no, there is no actual true introspection because this is a cult. As you said, this is all a cult, and this is their. Um, this is one of their publications. This is this is not media meant for us. This reporter journalist um, is not somebody who is interested really in communicating with you. Mm-hmm. Not interested in communicating with you. She is interested in um, in her own virtue, making herself. Feel good because that is the that is the bottom line of progressivism. That's, that's a certitude. That yep. is a certitude, absolutely. Um, but in fairness to her, um, I think we do need to give her a pat on the back. She does. She does actually mention one one thing in that uh, in that piece. Um, it, she does say that you know uh, biased media has always been around. Back in the nineteen sixties, I rest my case. Mm. And she's ba- you're saying she's basically pissed that she that they stole her line yes. basically. Yeah. It's, how you how dare you run our same game plan back at us. And this isn't a story where all it's basically missing is Matt Lauer's rape dungeons at some point, you know? I mean that was a seedy seedy brothel that was going on at Fox News for a while. Hey, are you thinking of buying or selling a home this year? Real Estate Agents I Trust is a company Glenn Beck and his friends started a few years ago because they were tired of real estate agents that talked a good game, but then um, you know, didn't deliver the results in the end when they were needed the most. If you have never bought or sold a home before and you're thinking about it, we're going to be straight up with you. It's one of the most stressful things you're ever going to do. And that's, that's when you have a good agent. Don't even attempt doing it without an agent that you haven't vetted. And that's the difference between real estate agents I trust and other referral services. I mean, those are really set up to help real estate agents find clients. In this case, this is set up to help you, the client, find the right agent. It's the, it's the empowering of you, the customer, all right? Uh, and, and hey, there are no guarantees east of Eden, but a good place to start in, in, in you know, growing your margin for error is when folks volunteer to be held accountable, to be vetted, to be scrutinized. And that's what the agents have done here at Realistic Agents I Trust. So uh, if you want to buy or sell fast and for the right price, uh, do it with the team at Real Estate Agents I Trust. Visit the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Now, the whole lack of self-awareness, right? I mean, everything she accuses Fox of, the 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 gaming the system for candidates the leaking of questions the um, uh, the sexual predatory allegations these things are replete throughout mainstream liberal uh, media newsrooms and have been for how long do you think Jane Myers the author of this article is not aware of that I'm certain she's aware yeah. So then why would there be a total lack of self-awareness here? Like, and, and by the way, it's, it's not, it, it doesn't, I, I wish I could say it's unique to the side we're often opposed to, but I, I saw a whole bunch of people over the weekend in conservative media tweeting out how disgusting it was that Joe Biden had to take back calling a Republican, a decent person or something along those lines. Did you see that over the weekend? Mm-hmm. Um, are, do we really believe that if the shoe was on the other foot, do we really believe 
if after saying I'm going to vote against uh, the president's national emergency declaration, and I don't, if, if Rand Paul followed that up with the next day on Twitter, you know, I really don't agree with Joe Biden on much, but I got to know him. We were in the Senate together, and I thought he was overall a pretty decent guy. What do you think, Joe? What do you think Rand Paul's mentions would be? I think they might be somewhat similar. Do you? <laughs> do I even have to ask? <laughs> He'd be obliterated, guys. <laughs> He'd be obliterated. This, so this idea that it's only on the other side, that you're not allowed to make these kinds of intrapersonal observations. Do you remember when the picture emerged of Ben Sass in jogging shorts? Yeah. Hanging out Chuck outside Schumer's. the Senate with Chuck Schumer yeah. in a suit? Oh, that's why I never Trump her. Yeah, he's got, and you know, I think Ben Sass has a higher liberty score than Ted Cruz does in the U.S. Senate right now. Okay. So this idea that this only works one way in some of these instances is increasingly not true. Increasingly not true. Like, I have no idea why Matt Gates thought the best way to defend Donald Trump last week was to criticize Michael Cohen in public for being an adulterer. Do you think Matt Gates is not aware that Donald Trump is an adulterer? Similar to what I just asked you about, right. Jane Meyer. Think he's not aware of this? Of course he is. So, wh- why would you vacate the square of all self awareness altogether? Because well, that's how shiny the idol is. All is the cause, I, Steve. Yeah. All is the I, cause. I, I saw yes. you at the toilet store. Well, doesn't that mean that you were at the toilet store? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. See, there is something new happening. All right. And I'm going to describe it to you when we come back. And when I do, I want you to remember this saying. When you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one you hit. Homeowners beware, a data breach has exposed 24 million of us to home title fraud. That's a crime that could cost any one of us our home. If you've got a mortgage, refi, or HELOC through a major bank, this breach may have put you at risk of losing all of your equity that you've built up in your home, maybe even the home itself. That's because it gave scammers everything they need to steal your home's title, like the last four digits of a social, checking account number, maiden name, middle initial, you know, the kinds of things you use as identifiers when you do business online. So they can go now because uh, our, our home titles are online and not, you know, in big buildings buried under mountains of paperwork. They can now go claim that they're you because they have this verifiable information, forge a signature and maybe refile your home or take out uh, equity lines of credit and then stick you with the payments. Don't let this happen to you, especially when for just pennies a day, our friends at Home Title Lock will protect you from it. Your bank won't, your insurance company won't, not even your identity theft protection will, but Home Title Lock will. And they're going to help you right now find out, have I already been targeted? Am I vulnerable? It's normally a $100 value for their title scan and report. They'll give it to our audience today at The Blaze for free. If you go to HomeTitleLock.com, that's HomeTitleLock.com. So we've been talking these last couple of days. This whole notion that the Trumpapalooza at CPAC is something new is not new. This is not new. It was Romney-Palooza, McCain-Palooza, Bush-Palooza. This has been the game on the right all along, for a long, long time. The cake hasn't changed. Remember this as we get in the 2020 election. The cake has not changed. Only the flavor of the frosting has changed. It's a zanier flavor. I'll give you that. 
It's got more spice to it. It's got definitely some kick to it. I will give you that. All right. The frosting's different, but the cake is still made the same. Don't conflate the removal of societal norms with the change of fundamentals. They're not the same thing. But that doesn't mean something new is not occurring because something new is. And I normally do the vast majority of this off the top of my head every day. But I I decided to write this out on my Facebook wall so I would say it exactly the way that I'm going to say it on the show here today. I want to share this with you. The next step in our cultural de-evolution is emerging. And you see the subtle anecdotal signs of it already. Like Fox News abandoning fair and balanced as its motto. CNN uh, abandoning all pretense of professionalism. And, and they only abide by it when certain individuals within uh, these structures choose ethics on their own to maintain some modicum of it. Meaning they, they rely on the integrity of the individual. Institutionally, it's not required. Then there's how much of my mentions determine my self and professional worth by whether I agree or disagree with the someone or someones that you either loathe or love, not the merit or lack thereof of the argument I'm making itself. See, what what you're watching that is new is warring political tribes are now going to become warring political cults. One will be intentional, the cult of progressivism. Uh, and what I mean by that is it, it's intent. It is on purpose attempting to deconstruct the Judeo-Christian foundation of the country. It's, it's, it's expressed purpose. And that's with the goal of leading us to an, a, a different worldview, an ungodly one, a secular one, a statist one. It's fulfilling its intended purpose. This isn't even progressivism. It's regressivism. We're having old moral arguments. I mean, in a way, what I'm saying is we're talking about paganism. Right down to ritualistic child sacrifice. I mean, we have feminists smearing blood on their faces. Where have we seen acts like this before? Right out of paganism, guys. Right out of paganism. The the fascination and obsession with the matriarchal, right out of paganism. Combining the church with state, right out of paganism. Where did the doctrine of the separation of church and state come from? Calvin Knox actually comes out of the Protestant Reformation. Or actually, that's where our modern Western notions of this doctrine come from. When pagans talk about the separation of church and state, they don't, it's like the princess bride. I don't think that means what you think it means. They don't mean the same thing we think it means. What it really means is the separation of your church from their state. (laughs) That's what it actually means. So that's the one cult and that's established and it's on the march. But emerging is a new one. A rival cult. This one will not be intentional. It will be effectual. A coalition of those with some generic belief in individual autonomy and Americana. But that belief isn't rooted in anything firm. Like a divine accountability or responsibility. There's no foundation there. Meaning without those things, it cannot avoid the temptation of the word Todd used in the last segment when he did a spoiler. We should have done a spoiler alert. It can't, without a firm foundation of divine responsibility and accountability, it cannot resist the slide into idolatry. It's incapable of it. 
And it will all be justified because they're saving America, don't you know? That'll be the justification for it. And it will be very convinced it is a direct instrument of the God it's already rejected because it's replaced sincerity with sloganeering. It will also become more and more self-justified and pharisaical well, of course, calling those of us that don't want to join the Pharisees. Uh, it will become more and more Pharisaical the more hedonistic and, uh, and overtly pagan the progressive cult becomes. Because it, it justifies itself by its opposition to the other, not because of the merits of what it's actually pursuing in and of itself. Soon we're going to have our first hashtag walk away person with gender dysphoria who maybe starred in a hit movie in the 90s for 10 minutes and has done nothing since. But, you know, they'll be all over our, you know, our chosen cable news network as our, as Aaron likes to say, trademark new conservative hero. It's a coming. Prepare yourself for it. Like in 10 minutes, it's coming. It can't resist. It can't stop itself from doing this. It's in, it doesn't have the worldview for it because the secular mind, no matter how well-intentioned, can do no better. It is incapable of doing better because it's a law unto itself. It's accountable to nothing other than itself. And so there's nothing there to say, full stop. Full stop. Can't go there. There's nothing to stop it. When you're constantly justifying yourself by stop the other side, stop the other side, stop the other side, absolutely everything becomes justifiable then in your mind because you're accountable to nothing other than I have to defeat them. Very soon, very soon, Republicans and Democrats will become warring political cults. Every secular system devised by man has not been able to resist the temptation. Every pagan system as well. And paganism is really another form of of secularism. It's just a demonic secularism. It can't resist the temptation to do this. And it's done it all throughout human history. It's going to happen here too. It's already beginning. This is going to be for us caught in the middle like a replay of the Sanhedrin versus the Romans. And if you're not willing to fully join the groupthink in order to keep politics in its proper place, rest assured this remains true. Better for one contrarian non-joiner to die than for our whole nation to perish. No more room for you. I want to show you an example of what this means. Now, I could show you this example every single day. It just providentially showed up in my inbox today. Dear Steve, this is for you and your cohorts, Filter D and Filter Dumb. My first impressions of your show were spot on. You are a waste of time, and I do, know, do not know how you got on the blaze. You need to be on MSNBC or CNN. It is clear to me that all three of you do not know anything about American politics. For as far as the eye can see in the future, presidents of the United States of America will come from one of the two major parties in America. Now, let me stop right here. One of us has actually been professionally paid and paid well to serve a major political party. And, and then the other one wrote this email. Okay. So I, you're right. I have, I have no experience when I probably have more direct experience in professional Republican party involvement than almost anyone working in conservative media from Rush Limbaugh down to local guy at, you know, Schenectady, but you're right. I don't know anything. The Democratic Party or the Republican Party is where it's at. 
At this point in time, there is no third party that will produce a president. Who has said that there is no third party that's viable? Which show has said this repeatedly? This one. This one has said that. I, I actually put right in there, actually. It's like taking your vote and bringing it into the middle of an open field and setting it on fire. You will have nothing to show for it. Outcome-based reasoning. Which, you know, what do we often accuse progressives of doing? Utilitarian ethics. Yes. I, 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 I accept the truth on the basis of whether I want it to be the truth. Pragmatism. Yes. Not on the basis of whether it is true. So it doesn't matter what the Republicans do with your vote when you vote for them. I just want this outcome for me. It is also clear to me you know nothing about the Christian religion. Now, what is his basis for me knowing? I may know nothing about the Christian religion. He might be right. But what is his basis for me knowing nothing about it? All you do is complain about the speck in your brother's eye and ignore the two by four in your own. Tell me a host who's more honest about their moral failings and shortcomings. You've listened to me for 15 years. Do you know anybody who's more open and honest? Almost to the point of it being painful. Do you know anybody? No, it's More it's, transparent. It's why we get a lot of letters that are the opposite of this, because they trust you for that very reason. So what is the evidence that I'm ignoring? And I might be ignoring a two by four in my own eye. What is his evidence? Here's his evidence. You do nothing but complain about conservatives and Republicans and how they don't live up to your standard. (laughs) That's quite a beam there, baby. Yeah, I don't have a standard. That's your whole show. You never say anything bad about the Democratic Party. We don't ever say anything bad. Uh. I think just yesterday, didn't we do a spoof of Bernie Sanders? As a Soviet. As a Soviet. Mm -hmm. Polish that idol, baby. Polish it. It's as if you're rooting for them. (laughs) I literally went and voted straight ticket Republican in the last election. (laughs) And I hadn't done it in 15 years. I, I couldn't stand my effeminate rhino congressman, David Young. I voted for him anyway. Why? Because I recognized he was like my last line of defense against communism. Let's invite this guy on the show. I'm literally, I've literally done whole shows. It's only March 5th. I've already done two whole shows on if I were in Trump's political office, what I would need him and urge him to do to win because he, whether you like him or not, the, you know, the gates of Mordor, the black gate has been open. Have we, have we not done this show? Written columns, yeah. right, done the show. Mm-hmm. Sure. You answer, suck at football too, Steve. Answer me this question. Where do you think we would be right today if Hillary Clinton had been president for the last two years? No thanks to you three. You'd rather cut off your nose despite your face. Your hate for Trump shows clearly you would rather have seen Hillary as president. Has there been anything Trump's done that we agree with we have not credited that you're well, aware apparently of? apparently not. This emailer said so, so we just hate Trump. I guess that settles it. You're going to love this one, Aaron. This is your favorite shibboleth. Now, I know that the Republican Party is made up of sinners, but when you're voting for president, you're voting for more than the president. You're voting for that party's platform. It's the most conservative party platform in the history. You know, it will either be a Democratic Party or a Republican Party platform. I could go on. I mean, this, this whole email is like this. He's still talking. How, He's still going. How yeah, long I mean, look, was it? Look, 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 look. This is, you can see it. Here's the email. <laughs> but it's just all a restating of the same thing. Okay? And he, and he wants to come on the show live. Joseph Nosaro oh, he does. is his name. Here's what I'm going to do for you, Joseph. I'll meet you halfway. Because I don't want to put you in a position where I don't know if you've done any live broadcasting or not. And, and people think it's easy, but it's not. And I've done this with people and they've just frozen on me. I don't want that to happen to you. But I know you represent a viewpoint, no doubt about it. You know, I mean, 
I've seen the absolute most banal, shallow videos defending Trump on points that no one even cares about get a half million hits on Facebook. I pointed out last week that um, Trump was wrong in absolving Kim Jong-un of Otto Warmbier's death. And obviously Trump agreed with me that he he was wrong because he then clarified those comments a few hours after the family criticized him for it. What did that get, like 5,000 views or something? And like 200 comments and they were like all negative. This is what the kids called ratioed. Yeah. So I, I know that you, I know more people, Joseph, agree with you than me. I know this. I know that. I am, you know, I know that. So here's what I'm going to do for you, Joseph. You send me five questions and you word them any way you want. In fact, send them to Aaron. Dace Show, D-E-A-C-E, Dace Show at gmail.com. Send them directly to Aaron. I will have Aaron put them on the screen, live on the air, in your wording. I will not know what they are ahead of time. And you can ask me anything you want. And I'll sit here before you and other people like you and answer them. See, because here's what the real issue is, Joseph. The real issue is, is in many respects, you're like the rainbow jihad lobby. Yep. You don't want to just be permitted to do things. You want to be affirmed. It's not enough for you that I agree with Trump when he does what is right. It's not enough for you that um, I've supported him on policy plenty of times. You want me to affirm your idol and your identity. You're a special snowflake, Joseph. That's, that's what you want. But So prove me wrong. You send me five questions. The less wordy, the better. You know, don't make them like triple compound questions. Send me your, send me your five best questions that you think this will really trip me up. Could be on issues, theology, philosophy, should be easy because we already determined you suck, Steve. It should be because you're right. I don't know anything. I've actually been paid professionally for helping to get Republican candidates elected to office. I actually know Donald Trump or did, but you're right. I don't know anything. I knew Sarah Sanders when she got us donuts. Okay. You're right, though. I don't know a thing. All right. I don't know anything. You're right. I'm just totally guessing here. So... I'll meet you halfway. Prove to me you have legitimate complaints, specific issues. Not, why won't you love my monkey and touch my monkey? Okay? Give me real things. And I'll happily address them. Send them to Aaron, dayshow at gmail.com. Your timetable. And Aaron, whenever we get them, you let Todd know since he schedules the show. Yep. All right, put it on the schedule. Don't let me know what the questions are in advance. And we'll give it all the time we need to entertain Joe's questions. Because here's the sad truth. Unlike Jane Meyer, or those of you pretending that if a Republican liked Joe Biden personally, they wouldn't get hammered every bit as much on Twitter as Joe Biden did from the left. Unlike that, I'm actually self-aware. What do I mean by I'm self-aware? I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am prone to make all the mistakes that we have to call out and correct. That's my job. That's why I'm open about my own frailties and my own sinfulness. So I'm self-aware to know that if I did what you wanted me to do, Joe, I'd be a lot more popular and be making a crap ton more money than I'm making right now. And so would you too. I know that. Because I've seen other people that used to be in the trenches with me make the decision to do and serve people like you. And I've seen them all financially rewarded for doing it. 
So I know, Joe, even more than and better than you do, that there are far more people that want what you want than what I'm willing to give. I'm well aware of that. Maybe I'm in the wrong, though. Maybe I don't want to straw man you. Maybe you have legitimate gripes. Maybe you're not just in a political cult. Maybe you're not an idolater. Prove me wrong. You send me your five best questions, and I will do my best to earnestly answer them. But the more and more secular we become, this is, this is, I know I've only shared a couple. I'm getting, I've gotten tons of these kinds of emails where my Christian faith is determined by whether I like the same politician you do as much as you do. Hmm. But let me guess. I'm the self-righteous one, right? You guys... I'll give you the floor. we got about two minutes left. What do you think? See these comments all the time, all the time. And we have given, in, you know, full disclosure, maybe I should, you've probably given more grace to people like that than I uh, would be willing to show uh, because we have gone through this. We understand why people are not prone to right whenever Trump does something that we disagree with. We're not going to throw them under the bus. We understand that and we try to give grace to people. But then there's the next level after that, which is you're not affirming me or you're not even affirming me enough. Mm-hmm. And so you're bad. You're bad. We go from orange man bad to you're bad if you don't affirm me. It's the same thing. It is the same thing. We'll come back. Hour two is next right here on The Blaze. Stay tuned. And we are back live and on demand on The Blaze. 888-933-93 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour, it's Pop Culture Tuesday. We look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. And in honor of the release of the Captain Marvel film this week, um, Rotten Tomatoes has come out with its list of the most empowering moments in cinematic history for women. And since, Todd, you are raising four daughters, you know, a little bit uh, about female empowerment. Right? Correct. So I'm going to run by your filter. Is this female empowering or not? Uh, what say you? I'm going to let you make the call a little bit later on. Now, you've not seen this list. I told you don't look at it, right? We're correct. Because I wanted to get your instant reaction to it. Okay? So we'll get into that a little bit later on. Hey, when was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned? Have you ever, uh, particularly this time of year, you know, itchy ears, you know, there's a spiritual context for that, but there's also a physical uh, issue there as well. Ear pain or that plugged up feeling, uh, you know, maybe you're asking people to constantly repeat themselves. Maybe you're like our good friend, Kurt Schilling, when we do the sports show with him, who is in a panic at least once a week because he thinks uh, his uh, feedback audio system has gone out and it's really just that he's got to clean the wax out of the earpiece, right? Hey, if that's you, these problems sound familiar to you. Now you can get a real solution in the comfort and convenience of your own home. No trips uh, to the doctor's office. You don't even need a prescription. It's called WaxRx. It uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes ear wax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH-conditioned formula. If you want to give it a try, go use the website. UseWaxRx.com. That's the site. UseWaxRx.com. Use offer code radio for free shipping at checkout. UseWaxRx.com. All right, so uh, there is allegedly, 
Although it, it, I know it just doesn't seem like it's really ramped up yet, but maybe that's my you know perception. But uh, the presidential race is well underway here in our home state of Iowa, the first in the nation Iowa caucuses. Now, with uh, President Trump on the ballot, doesn't look like there's going to be a contested caucus over there. But the Democrats may indeed uh, have their own battle royale. Not sure they'll get to 17 announced candidates as Republicans did uh, during the summer of 2015, but it certainly will be a lot. And if you have followed, uh, you know, presidential politics and Iowa caucuses for years, then you know uh, the face that's here with us, David Yepsen. You've seen him on all the networks in the past. He's even been with us in the past as well. Uh, and it's good to have you back, brother. How are you? Good to be with you. I'm fine. It's great. So Thanks. we wanted to bring you on because we wanted to get, um, give our audience real information outside of the, um, we're going to clickbait the hell out of you, which is what my industry is going to do. Okay. Um, ha 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 for clicks. And we're going to promote you or like what MSNBC is doing right now, where they're basically trying to kill Bernie Sanders because they're paranoid when they saw the Gallup poll that showed the two things Americans don't want is an old guy who's a socialist as president. And so MSNBC is trying to do to Bernie Sanders what like Fox News has tried to do to candidates I like in the past. They're trying to kill him right now. All right. So whether you're trying to, you know, choose your nominee on one side of the media aisle or mock them all uh, as cartoon characters on the other, there is, though, actual voters, actual people, not just straw men or constructs or, you know, that bait ain't going to click itself, people, actual voters that are make that are determining the environment and making decisions and vetting these candidates. So I wanted to spend some time here today getting as as, as, uh, unbiased of a view as we can. At, at, at the situation. But I, w- I think to do that, we have to start with the overall macro environment. All right. So Larry, is it Sabato or Sabato? I've heard Sabato. Of Sabato. Okay. Larry Sabato at the University of Virginia. He uh, is the crystal ball forecast guy. One of the best in the business. Somebody I like along the lines of a Sean Trendy at uh, Real Clear Politics. This was his first electoral college map. Uh, for 2020, if you aren't able to watch us today on The Blaze, he has 248 leaning Republican, 244 leaning Democrat with 46 toss-ups. Now, my estimation's a little bit more conservative than his. This is the map we've been going by with our audience here, all right, that I think right now, regardless of what happens, regardless of what happens, the Democrats have 201 electoral college votes by just showing up on uh, the first Tuesday of next November. And Republicans have 180. Although I will say this, there is some polling in Texas that looks very similar to the polling Ted Cruz had that a bunch of people like me mocked a year ago. And then he damn near lost. Okay. Now, I still don't think the the, the demographics in Texas have shifted to the point that Demo- the Democrats could win there. But if it's a situation where it's a four or five point race in the last month and Republicans feel like they got to divert resources to hold on to Texas, that could have an impact in some other states right now. But are you okay for now if we work off of this as a map sure. of where the presidential election will likely be That's decided? Good. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, I might uh, make a few tweaks here and there, but I, I think that for, for a, over a year away, this is a this is probably as good a map as you're going to find. Yeah. Now, I presented this to our audience, David, under the guise of if I were running Trump 2020 and I was brought into the West Wing to give a presentation, and I and I introduced this before we had the infanticide stuff in New York and Virginia and the State of the Union address and everything else and the shut and the National Declaration. So at the first of the year, I would say to the president, "There's two ways to win. One is just get me to 270, because it would be hard to construct 
a message that would resonate in North Carolina as much as it would in Colorado or Nevada, for example. So is, do you want to just get to 270 or do you want to win more of a national mandate this time? All right. Because those are two different things. If you want to win a national mandate this time, then you need to have really an existential debate about the Democratic Party and where it's heading in its future and socialism and things of that nature. And, and, and I think now, since we've had what happened in Virginia, what happened in New York State, the State of the Union address, I think now it's only going to be the reckoning debate. I think that just get me to 270 is kind of off the table. And I think we are going to really have a what's the future of the country existential debate. You okay with if we start with that assumption? Yeah, too? especially because uh, uh, the president is going to wish he had the House of Representatives mm-hmm. uh, back. And he'll want to try to do that with mm-hmm. his own turnout. So mm-hmm. that's going to govern some of how now, he targets so, his message. So it is possible, I think, then for one party or the other. If we're going to have a broader themed election rather than a microcosm of a couple of kitchen table issues, if we're going to have a broader themed referendum style election, I do think it's possible to piece together now a message that resonates in North Carolina like it does in Iowa or Nevada, if we're going to do that. You agree with that too? Fair enough. Sure. Fair enough? Okay. And, and so I just wanted to lay some ground rules of premises of where we're going to start from. So if we're going from that place and that's sort of the way I've, I'm analyzing this for our audience for the next, you know, 500 days. To me, the question then becomes, how, how far left does the Democratic Party believe it can honestly go and still win? And, and one of the things I've said to our audience, and I don't know if he's still as involved as, he used, as I used to remember, but one of the things I said to our audience is, you got to watch names, a guy like a Jerry Crawford. So this is a name we would know here in Iowa really well, but outside of Iowa wouldn't know who he is. And I used to talk to Jerry Crawford. We covered sports. He's a, he's a big sports guy. He comes from a, an era where uh, sharing a country with people like me wasn't necessarily repugnant, even if he didn't agree with me on almost anything else. But we could have other common interests and things of that nature. If, if he decides that um, go Kamala Harris – Go um, Elizabeth Warren, go Bernie Sanders, as opposed to more of a Joe Biden, Beta O'Rourke kind of a candidate. In my mind, that's a clear sign that it's 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 the Dems are going total Das Vendanya. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, and that's a big argument inside their party right now. Um, they passion passions are running high in America. Mm-hmm. That's no surprise. And and the, inside the Democratic Party, that very argument is going on. They, they, you know, you, their first task is to pick a candidate who they think can beat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they have their favorites uh, on the ideological spectrum. People they they may feel passionate about Elizabeth Warren, but they don't think she could win. Uh, to get to to two that map to two seventy, mm-hmm. so uh, and that's that's the argument going on in these early states, especially here in Iowa, and you know it's not unlike what we saw inside the Democratic Party in nineteen seventy two. They came up with George McGovern, mm-hmm. that's where their heart was. They nominated mm-hmm. him, crash and burn. The Republican Party in nineteen sixty four, uh, Goldwater was seen at that time as being too extreme. Uh, he lost in a landslide, mm-hmm. and parties. You know, they get these 
passions going in them, and they they just have to sometimes they follow them, even if it's going over a cliff. So that's one of the things, the problems that I think Democrats have is doing that balancing act of finding a winning candidate without getting somebody who is um, so far out there that they're not going to be able to appeal to uh, mainstream voters. You know, Steve, there used to be a a thing in politics, and I suppose Richard Nixon was the one who said it. Um, He would talk about how you get a nomination, you dive – if you're a Republican, you dive to the right. If you're a Democrat, you dive to the left. And then for November, you dive to the middle. That model has changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it probably started to change – in, in 1988, I think Karl Rove had something to do with it, and that's the notion: is uh-uh, you win by firing up your base and doing what you can to depress the turnout of the other party's base. Going well, after Michael Dukakis is an ACLU member, and, and I and I think you're say, seeing the GOP set up to run a similar strategy. That's right. That's yeah. right. You in fact, always, I even said on my show last week, if I were running Trump's re-election campaign, I would I would have one of my super PACs dump a, a half million or a million in Iowa airwaves right now. And it's just all Ocasio-Cortez saying, don't have kids because of climate change, and I'm the boss now. And and I would put Democrats in a situation where you have an untenable choice. You either have to sister soldier her, mm-hmm. uh, which alienates a good portion of your own base, mm-hmm. that, you know, or you don't and you embrace her, which alienates a good portion of the everyday Americans that live in those states that I have shaded gray on that map. And, and I think that's a good point to be bringing up right now. Until now— it's all been about Trump and what his job approval rating is and how people like him and how he is running with women or not. Well, and all that's important. But at the end of the day, it's one candidate versus another. Mm -hmm. It's not Donald Trump against his job approval rating. Uh, It's Donald Trump against a Joe Biden uh, or an Elizabeth Warren or whoever. This is something our peers misunderstood in the last election because the polls polls all along, and if you go back, and I pointed this out yesterday— the candidate that's won middle-class voters and the Catholic vote has won every presidential election um, pro, pro, post Roe v. Wade, with one exception. George W. Bush lost Catholics by a couple of votes in the hanging Chad year. Okay, But other than that, every time they've won those two groups. And if you look at the last election, Trump was polling terribly with Catholics the entire time. But we get down to the very end of the election and a whole bunch of Catholics decided, I can't stand this guy. I think he's a clown, carny con man. She's out there basically saying, abort every kid you can get your hands on. And in the end, he ended up winning him by like nine points, way beyond what anybody projected. And it goes to a little bit of what you're talking about. In the end, they compared the two people to each other. And I think it's important you brought up the polling. Mm-hmm. I think we have to take these polls today with a big grain of salt. I've dealt with public opinion polls for 40 years in my career as a journalist. Mm-hmm. And people don't answer their phones. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it's a real problem, the response rate. And pollsters are looking for ways around that. And there's all kinds of models and online stuff that they can do. But the, but the problem is people don't tell the truth about how they feel about Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. It's not cool to be talking about Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. You discover this interviewing people. Um, and so always take that with a big grain of salt. I think poll, public opinion polls will understate Trump's strength. If, if a stranger calls up on the phone, how do you feel about Trump? I, I, you know, I come out of a small Iowa town, mm-hmm. and I talk to my friends back there, and I could sense that, that people like Donald Trump. But, you, you know, it wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily show up uh, in the polls. So – You've got to start that with a predicate. Be careful of these polls. He's not just running against it's. He's not running against his job approval rating, although that's come up. Mm-hmm. Lots of unforeseen factors. Does he get a deal in China? 
what happens with this farm crisis. Big deal here in the Middle West. And incidentally, in many of those battleground states you've identified, uh, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Ohio, central Pennsylvania, all rural and all in big farm dairy industry, really hurting right now. So the president will at some point start to take the rap for that uh, unless he can turn it around. Now, that we've got over a year to go before that occurs. Uh, but back to your point, um, you know, the Democrats have got to find that sweet spot, uh, a, a candidate who can reach out and carry traditional Catholic voters. And that's not just something Trump pulled off. We've seen that start to happen, I think, Oh, Bobby, in the mid-70s, uh, they voted for Jimmy Carter, but by 78, they'd started to turn off. And it wasn't just abortion. That was part of it. But a lot of it had to do with uh, support or lack thereof for private schools and tax credits. For the gender but, dysphoria stuff it, is going to is, is be just, a major factor, uh, too. And, yep. and so uh, Trump and the Republicans, they have to worry about the suburbs and attracting younger voters and women. That's going to be uh, part of their goal. But one of the ways they're going to they're going to do that is to turn the Democrat into some a person of who's very odious. I think what we are saying, this just occurred to me, is Trump is not going to get reelected like George W. Bush did in 2004. Put a marriage amendment on the ballot in Florida and Ohio. Wow. And under and so we have an underground swell of values voters. And so when the exit polls show moral values is like the number one or two issue, everybody's shocked. And you win with like 284 electoral college votes. Well, and what we're really saying is if we're going to have a national referendum, someone's getting like 330 or 340 electoral college votes or they're going home. In fact, Barack Obama did something that has never been done since post-Civil War when we went to the two-party system. Uh, he's the first president to get reelected with fewer votes in the Electoral College and, in, and, and less a percentage of the popular vote than he did when he first won. Every other president that's been reelected in the modern two-party era has been reelected by growing their base, not by seeing it shrink. Okay, So I, I, in a way, what you and I are saying is that you need to be the, the Democrats need to be prepared to have a national referendum existential conversation. Do they do based on your coverage of them? Do they understand that, or do they even accept that? Um, it's got to be more than Donald Trump's a bad man, right? And and they are trying to uh, strike that balance, but it's difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Catholics. Uh, I mean, the, the argument between pro-life Catholics and social justice Catholics, huge. Mm -hmm. And that's not new. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that argument is going to be important. I think I think uh, it's – I don't know if we could even make a decent forecast now about who will win just because of how long out it is. But you're, you're asking the right questions and people need to keep an eye on how those questions are being answered. How the Democrats conduct this nominating process? Do they savage each other? Uh, do they make their eventual nominee so extreme they're not it's not worth uh, uh, the, the nomination isn't worth having or um, maybe maybe you decide you're going to lose some votes to uh, to gain some votes mm -hmm. and so uh, somebody's going to take on Bernie Sanders for being a socialist uh, I can see uh, Senator Klobuchar um, you know I'm a capitalist she mm -hmm. says you know and and even Elizabeth Warren says she's a capitalist mm -hmm. and 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 makes the point that the purpose of government is to take the edge off the capitalism all right that can be a, a debate and I, there are many Democrats who are not happy that Bernie Sanders is running as for the Democratic presidential nomination at the same time he's filing papers to run for re-election mm -hmm. as a Democrat as an independent socialist 
uh, in uh, in Vermont. That term socialist is a, is electric. I mean, it's it's a radioactive term, and so it's it's what it's what it's what they did to the word liberal in the eighties, for exactly. example. That's why they had to rebrand. Well, and to the word and wh- yeah. what was done to the word conservative back in the mid sixties. Mm-hmm. That was terrible in the Goldwater era. It meant reactionary, basically. Yeah, yeah. And and so, however, whoever defines the terms of the debate wins the debate. How I I've. You know, there's always been talk, and a lot of it. I've been involved in a lot of this debate too about the the warring factions within the Republican Party: moderates, conservatives, and I, I liberals or, or activist establishment. I think it really comes down to um, corporatist versus everyday Americans. I think it's much more basic than that. But uh, I, until recently, I don't think much has been made that the same existential argument is happening in the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. But I, but I think it's it's an argument more. And maybe this is my bias as a conservative. So you tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think it's more about how honest can we be about really where we want the country to ultimately end up. Uh, it's more about the pace of the vehicle rather than the the vehicle in and of itself. Am I wrong about that? No. The the but if I hear you right, you you're saying you've got to, if you win the nom don't whoever wins the nomination don't party members eventually come home. Mm-hmm. I mean, they may not. What I mean is, they really want us to be Western Europe. That's what they really want institutionally as a party. They want this to be a secular, quasi-socialist democracy. That that's really with with a with an with a an an all-powerful central government. That's really what they want. Well, I won't agree with that. Okay, Uh, but I can see where that is the argument that the right has to make. Mm If it wants to attack the Democratic Party, I'm not sure. I, I well, I, I don't agree with that. Steve, okay, but but I th- I can see where you're going. That's certainly the argument that Republicans and the right has to make at the left in this argument, this debate over mm-hmm. our our future. And the Republicans will have the same get the same hits uh, from from the left. Um, the question is: Is there this campaign conducted in such a way that the losing candidates can come home? Will uh, Republicans go home to Donald Trump. Uh, will uh, Democrats go home to whoever their nominee is? I think they will. Uh, and so I think the battle becomes the battle for the hearts and minds of ta- independent voters and toss-up voters. They're, they're target groups that uh, they've got to have. Republicans simply have to do better uh, in the suburbs. Uh, they have to do better well, with you younger, women, su- younger it's voters. It's really suburban women is the issue. Yeah, you look it's at, not just abortion. It's, okay? it's, it's, it's a whole bunch of things. But – well, I think actually think it's mostly Trump's personality. Um, but if you look at 2010, 12, 14, and 16, in those elections, uh, Republicans won suburban women by an average of five points in every one of those elections. Some were a little bit higher, some were lower, but that was the average, okay? In, in 2018, they lost them by eight. I mean, there's a 13-point swing mm-hmm. there, okay? And it isn't because the Democratic Party moved to the middle. So that that's, a, to me, that the one changing factor here is the personality of the president driving off those voters. And just parenthetically, that's also a big part of the reason Republicans won the lost the U.S. House uh, because many of those same yeah. women voters kept on voting for other yeah. races. Yeah. Uh, and in local races, like here, legislative races in Iowa, uh, Democrats made gains. And so to me, that's the Trump argument is he's got to make the case. What do you despise more? My uh, 5 a.m., um, you know, uh, you know, immature tweeting, me showing my rear end on Twitter at three o'clock in the morning, or Communist Party USA. I mean, that's essentially the argument. 
he's got to make. I think you're going to watch them run a replay of the 1988 game plan. Whoever the Democrats nominate, they're going to, and, and when, the, when, they, when you've already had them debate about whether to eliminate all health insurance, when you've already had the argument about um, uh, all the other issues, the, the Ilian Omar situation that continues, where she, every, you know, all the, they're, they're literally, Democrats in the House are doing anti-Semitic proclamations right now without mentioning her by name, but it's really in response to their own congresswoman who they can't get to stop, you know, uh, posting anti-Semitic tri- tropes on Twitter. Um I think you're going to watch the Trump team do a replay of 88. They're going to, it's, it's the Michael Dukakis in a tank. It's ACLU. They're going to, they're going to try to mitigate the efficiencies in his persona with these people, regardless, you may not like me, but these people are way out of the cultural I, no, I, mainstream. I, I agree. And I think Democrats have to, in running their primary nomination contest and their campaigns cannot make the mistakes that a Michael Dukakis made. Mm-hmm. They got to be smart enough not to get in a tank and put a goofy hat on. Could, just, could, could a Bill Clinton sister soldier like he did in 1992? Exactly. Could you could, could you do that in today's Democratic Party? Because sure. I don't think you could. Um, I think the time will be will come when so, a Democratic candidate will find a proper time to do a sister soldier moment. Okay. Uh, I do. I think that'll be one because of the, I, the, I think that might be the difference between winning or losing the next election. Exactly. Like but that. Democrats understand what you're talking about. They can't be seen as so far to the left that they want to be a, a European country. So they're going to have right. to somebody, I, it may be a Joe Biden trying to slow down on a, a Elizabeth Warren or somebody on the left, but there will be that moment. And I think I assume people does that remember, go back to the question you asked a minute ago, though, if that happens, those people that buy in that are that that buy into the intersectionality notions do they feel like are are they going to be like hey i'm not voting for you then i'll just wait my turn there will be some people but at the end of the day i think those people will come home you're seeing the democrats already pushing back against the independent candidacy of howard schultz Mm -hmm. they've learned the lesson that you know donald trump got to be president because there were third parties uh sapping at democratic i actually think he hurts trump more I think, oh yeah, I think he's the, I think he largely has voters in places Democrats can't lose no matter how many people run. That's interesting. I mean, I I did the math. If you, if he got 11%, like 10% of the, no, it was the, I gave him the percentage of the vote Ross Perot got in New York in 1992 and Trump still wins New York, still loses the state by like a million votes. Now, and I think it's the Bill Kristol, Charlie Sykes Republican that, that wants to vote for Howard Schultz. I I think those are votes that go away from Trump on on a national scale. I think many of those, not. Crystal and Sykes, but I think many Republicans who might not be happy, I think many Democrats who might not be happy, eventually they come home. Mm-hmm. They don't, people, you know, people are frugal. They don't throw away their vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, people understand that, you know, if you want to vote for a third party candidate, you're probably helping the, the candidate you least want to. Um, so people, uh, you know, the passion's cool, the party hugs and kisses and makes up after the national convention, and then starts going after the opposition. But people tend to come home. I, I think I, I think there may be some erosion, but it w- it would be, I would be surprised if, if Democrats don't go home and Republicans don't go home, provided they conduct the, the nomination process in a decent fashion. Before we let you go, let me ask, let me end with this question then. Our mostly conservative audience here, give them some objective clues of, of, of watching the next few months of campaigning in Iowa that shows Democrats understand the reality, not just understand it, but are willing to abide by it, are willing to act upon it or 
um, you know, we're we're off at a Grateful Dead concert. What what are the signs of that? I think there's one important one to watch, and that is: Are Democrats succeeding in in getting support in rural America? Mm-hmm. Rural America is a bastion of so Trump watch support. turnout of rural America Democratic turnout, party stops. but messages. Mm-hmm. You know what are what are the messages Democratic candidates are uh, are offering that will appeal to rural voters? Uh, Farm crisis is we had bad. Thirty-three can- counties in Iowa that voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump. Largest the number. Yeah. And so, what you'll see these Democratic candidates going to those counties and trying out their messages. So, the question for your conservative audience is: Are Democratic candidates finding messages that work with rural Americans? And that's men and women, but it tends to be which older. would also show that that. They may culturally like Trump more, but economically they're stressed to the point that they got to put food on the exactly. table. Exactly. Tariffs have never been a real great thing for mm-hmm. rural Americans. It mm-hmm. tends to hurt them. And maybe that it will start to be the thing that bites Trump. And in the end, the loss of, the loss of rural support in Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, central Pennsylvania – Iowa will be the thing that tips those states into the Democratic column. It's something now I'm the, watching Now, for. the inverse is then true, too. If they can't, with everything you're talking about, if they, because this does seem to be the part of the country that's kind of immune to the economic growth that's happening everywhere else for the reasons you said, if, they, if the Democrats cannot craft an economic message that cuts through that, then it means that they're so far left culturally, they've basically just lost these people. That's right. And you can't win, but you cannot win the White House without rural votes. Mm -hmm. Whether you like it or not, there's a rural skew to the Electoral College. It's the way the founders set it up. Mm -hmm. And and so if Democrats can't find a way to reach rural voters, you know, the the White House is going to be beyond, there'll be a a party of of the coastal regions and college towns. And, and that's and, what we saw in the last election. She won 15% of they were the most populous counties, but she, Hillary won 15% of the counties in the United States. And they were all in the places that you're college towns in middle America. Right. And then the big populous regions in the coastal communities. That's what happened in that's the right. last election. That's right. I, I think it's the thing to look for rural America. What, what's happening there? Great stuff, David. Always good to see you, man. Thanks for coming good in. Good to see you, Steve. Thanks all for right. having me. Appreciate it. So Todd, when we come back here in a minute, man, it's go time. I think I'm going to break you. I'm certain of it. Looking at this list, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to be crushed by it. So when we come back, we're going to have a little pop culture Tuesday. This is where we look at the intersection between culture and conservatism uh, and particularly pop culture. And in honor of the Captain Marvel movie, are your girls looking forward to seeing that this weekend, by the way? I have suppressed expectations because I'm, I'm dubious. <laughs> you're worried. I am. Yeah. You're worried. Um, we, uh, in honor of the Captain Marvel movie coming out this weekend, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the, uh, uh, the movie reviewer uh, aggregate site, kind of the drudge report uh, for movie reviews, um, they have come out with a list of the 50 greatest moments of female empowerment in cinema history. Would you be more or less confident if I told you they titled their list F yeah, the best moment. <laughs> they did actually. That's that's yeah. That's your only clue. They did title their list. That is the title of it. All right. So we're going to look at the most recent entries on the list. We're not going to go back to May West in 1934. Okay, we're going to look at the most recent entries, and we're going to see if uh, this is uh, the kind of female empowerment you're looking to empower your four daughters with. You ready for that? Are these are joys we're looking for. Okay. All right. We'll do that when we come back right here on the Blaze. Stay tuned. All 
All right, Pop Culture Tuesday coming your way here soon, live and on demand on The Blaze. But first, we have to set some time aside for Aaron to humble brag. Yep, and as I've been reminding you over the last few weeks, and as we've been reminding you as well, uh, it is the winter that will not end. We just endured another round of sub-zero temperatures the last few days here in Iowa, which means a lot of people are trying to find stuff to do inside to occupy themselves. You know, if you've got some free time, which I know some people don't have that much free time, but if you do and you live in uh, Iowa and Siri is talking to me for some reason, sorry, Siri, uh, if you do and you live in Iowa, um, she's saying self-awareness, yeah, self-awareness very much. So you need to find something to do with your time. And one of those things you can do is getting iTarget Pro. Not only is it a super cool system, easy to set up, it's also going to take your firearm training and skill to the next level. iTarget Pro utilizes your smartphone. Their proprietary app tracks a caliber-specific laser, which fits inside your firearm. You, you just li- really, uh, literally just put that bullet inside your firearm, and it'll detect exactly where your shots are landing. There's a little laser inside that bullet, and whenever you pull the trigger and the hammer strikes the back of the bullet or the pin, uh, it actually fires off that laser. iTarget Pro is completely safe, comes with your caliber-specific laser target system and instructions so you can begin training immediately. So take that Christmas cash, or maybe if you've still got some lying around, or you can maybe take that uh, that tax return, too, if you've got one. Go to the letter I, targetpro.com, check out the video, choose your caliber, and download the app so you're ready when the system arrives. This month, as well, still, you can get 10% off Plus free shipping with the offer code STEVE when you purchase the iTarget Pro system. Save money, save time, take your skill to the next level safely and effectively. That's the letter iTargetPro.com, offer code STEVE, iTargetPro.com. And I know I've already heard from a lot of people who have gotten the iTarget Pro and are really pleased with it. If you're one of those people, let me know on Twitter at uh, Dace Producer. You can shoot me an email, show at gmail.com. Shout your iTarget Pro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. A little Pop Culture Tuesday to close us out here on a Tuesday. This is where we look each week at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. Are you ready to go, Mr. Erzin? Let's You're on take the clock. away whatever hope I have left. All right, so as the man who goes home to five women every night, his wife and their four daughters, I present you Rotten Tomatoes in honor of the release of Captain Marvel this weekend has unveiled the 50 greatest moments of female empowerment in the history of American cinema. And we're just going to go with the more recent ones, okay? Okay. Because, I mean, we were to look back on the stuff Mae West and, you know, Carol Lombard were doing in 1935, it would look like, you know, Sweet Home Alabama compared to what's going on nowadays, right? You know. Yeah. So let's look at our current contemporary era, okay? I'm just taking these in the order that they're in here, okay? Having no mercy, I'm gonna, and I'm going to read them as they're written. I'm not adding any color editorial comment. I just want you to react. When you say there's an order, is this like number one? Chronology. It's chronological. Okay. Having no mercy in Alita Battle Angel. In this futuristic dystopia, there's no room for love or mercy when you're a hunter, warrior, or bounty hunter. So why should cyborg Alita show mercy to Jackie Earl Haley's nefarious Grushika when she finally gets the upper hand after he sliced up her body, as she tells him in director Robert Rodriguez's 2019 action thriller, F your mercy. Have you, have you seen this yet? No. No. Um, no. No? Okay. 
readying to make some noise in a quiet place. Lock and load. By the end of director John Krasinski's 2018 horror film, Emily Blunt's Evelyn Abbott has lost her husband, given birth in a tub as monsters stalked her, and just watched her deaf daughter's hearing aid make another monster explode while also sending out the signal for more of them to come. No wonder she's ready to take charge and survive. Well, this is absolutely a movie of female empowerment, but it actually only gets it like half right. Um, she She's even more than they say. I mean, she's... She's Meaning a, their description only gets it half right. You're yeah, saying. yeah. Okay. Uh, she's she's a woman in full in that show. She's awesome, and you've said as much before. So that's that is an absolutely. All right, so we're one for two. Yeah, according to according to yeah, you're you're, you're the self appointed judge. Correct. Actually, I'm the one that appointed you to the judge. All right, so one for two. Uh, next, mastering the rules of the game in Crazy Rich Asians. Did you ever see this movie? No. This was you know I always have my uh, take one for the team every year. And it almost always happens like right around Amy's birthday in late August. Just get it out of the way before football season starts. Let me just keep it real. <laughs> Aaron, another tip of the trade. Write yeah. that one down, brother. All I've right. already got the uh, right. entertainment center. In fact, we got two TVs now. With yes, and get the there. get the take one for the team yeah. out of the way late August before football season begins. This year, this year's uh, or last year's uh, take one for the team was Crazy Rich Agents. It was it had its moments. It was cute, actually. Okay. Anyway, it was it, what? It was cute. Yeah. I, I, okay, I think I'm being set up here. Was it also pretty? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I like blue Christmas lights. That's yeah, where that was from. I, I love guess. blue Christmas lights. <laughs> yes. Anyway, the clacking of the Mahong titles, the two random ladies who don't appear to speak English, the unflinching courage of Constance Wu's economics professor, Rachel Chu, in the face of her most fearsome adversary, Michelle Yeoh's Eleanor Young, the stoic mother of her love, Nick. This battle of wits at the end of director John M. Chu's Smash 28 rom-com, Crazy Rich Asians, displays so much deep-seated aggression. But if you think this is about which side Henry will choose, you're only seeing half the picture no what's seeing half the picture is that if if she was to write this script and call it this she would be called a racist at my daughters would be how is this empowering to them no mm, okay not throwing away your, so we're one for three yes not throwing away your shot in the favorite now i've not seen this movie either uh, but I will tell you the history this movie presents that these are essentially lesbian lovers vying for the attention of uh, of Queen Anne. That history is not true. And you know who actually even admits it? Rotten Tomatoes actually even admits it. Okay, so just something to keep in mind. Here's their description. Want to prove your loyalty? Then don't allude to the things better left unsaid. Emma Stone's Abigail learned this lesson well when she attempted to bond with her cousin Sarah over some casual bird shooting in the lawn belonging to their mistress, Olivia Coleman's Queen Anne. Given Sarah's not-so-veiled threats, perhaps Sarah should have waited to have this conversation at a place where firearms weren't involved. It sounds like something you would like. What do we call it again? Where we usurp somebody else's thing? What's the cultural uh, approbation? Uh, yes, appropriation. Not uh, no, appropriation. it's approbation. You can't. Yeah. This is you can't approbate a film for is your. Is it approbation or appropriation? It's appropriation. Okay, not approbation. It's appropriation. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, anyways, e- either way, it's it's bad. That's not. A, it's not helping them at all to learn that you can just take a culture that's uh, not yours for your propaganda. So no. So one for four. Yeah. All right. Banding together in Avengers Affinity War. 
because one female superhero is great, but three is even better. There's this moment of camaraderie in Anthony and Joe Russo's 2018 comic book film. Denai Garia's Denai Garia Okoye, I think that's how it's pronounced, had just gotten used to fighting with Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow when Elizabeth Olsen's Scarlet Witch descended from the skies to help them finish the fight. Okoye does an, does ask an important question though: Why was she up there this whole time? Well, the, bye. Great. You're okay it, with this it, one? This is empowering for any number of things, including okay. women. All right, two for five. Having no time for Western beauty standards in Black Panther. Daniel Gurrier Okoye, that's the that's that's Shiri, is that, that's the actress who plays Shiri, can fight in an evening gown, but in a major act of toppling the patriarchy, she feels more comfortable going into battle without her wig. Oh no, that's actually the leader of the guard. My bad. Okay, so the gal from uh, Walking Dead. This no nonsense moment is both practical. Why hold on to anything that's a liability when things are about to get real, and also an educational tool to teach mass audiences a lesson about black women's hair. No, it's none of those things. They clearly have their own fashion there, and it's ultimately, some of it's arbitrary, some of it's not, but it's theirs, and you can't, you can't do this with it. It can't just be entirely oppressive on the one hand, um, and on the other hand, when it's the other, uh, and they're, they're going for whatever's fashionable for the exact same reasons why it's something to celebrate. You have a double standard. We're not helping girls by teaching them double standards, no. All right, so two for six. Yes. Okay. Wonder Woman. Uh, taking bullets for the team in Wonder Woman. Well, they did call it No Man's Land. Gal Gadot's Diana Prince doesn't care that soldiers haven't been able to get the Germans to retreat from this bloody war zone. She only cares that people are suffering and they need her help. The scene, which some called the best superhero moment of the year when director Patty Jenkins' film came out in 2017, showed a fearless, determined heroine courageously throw herself in battle in the name of protecting the innocent. Oh. Amen. And this like another point I made on the first movie I liked. It, it misses a lot of the reasons why this is remarkable uh, for women. That's just the tip of the iceberg, that scene. They also left out how the scene concludes. Did you notice that? How does the scene conclude? Do you remember? Uh, with uh, hundreds of men coming to her aid. Because she, she couldn't do what by herself? She couldn't cross no she man's land by herself. No man's land. Not even with all of her superpowers. She couldn't cross no man's land by herself. So she needed the help of the men. To make it across, to finish uh, her task, they left. They conveniently left that part out of there. But you're you're feeling gracious today, so you're grading on a curve. All right, so three for seven. Correct. All right, taking sibling rivalry to the next level in Thor Ragnarok. Sometimes you want to emphasize. Empathize, empathize. They said emphasize. They meant empathize with the villain, especially when she's played with such vindictiveness as Kate Blanchett plays Thor's big sister, Hela. And like so many other older siblings, she took away her brother's favorite toy, his hammer, when he refused to obey her. Sorry, Thor, you can't win them all, but at least you still have chiseled arms and pretty blonde hair. <laughs> it's a win for women that basically the devil came back and had a good run at her... Br- no. No? No. No? Okay. Three for eight. Yeah, I thought that was a bit of a stretch. Deciding who you can trust in Star Wars The Last Jedi. Oh, boy. Should we even go through this three for nine? I just know where you're at on this movie. Is this like Rose? Is is this going to anoint Rose? It isn't so much that Daisy Ridley's Ray is able to hold her own in a fight with armed guards after Adam Driver's Kylo Ren chooses her over his master, Supreme Leader Snoke. Everyone knew that was coming. It's when she realizes that Kylo still hasn't come back to the light side of the force and they battle for Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber so hard it splits in two that things really get interesting. Well, 
No, no. This was, I would, Ray is cool. I like Ray. I'm mm-hmm. a little concerned at the end of that movie what they did with Ray. Um, but no, this is not. It, 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 I mean, I, which times do I just have to be ungendered, and which times do I have to be gendered? I mean, isn't the point that she's when you're promoting a viewpoint that the that the people like? I'm just, I, I, I thought it was... You have a, permission to gender when you're promoting my viewpoint. You don't have permission to gender when you don't. I just thought it was whichever one make, allows them to call me a dumb white male. But no, this is not some great victory okay. for women. So three for eight. Rethinking your workwear in Atomic Blonde. I have not seen this movie, okay? As Charlize Theron's M16, M, 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 MI6, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, M16, MI6 field agent Lorraine Broughton deadpans to her interrogators in a debriefing. If she knew she'd be walking into a police ambush when she searched their dead colleague's apartment, she would have worn a different outfit. Instead, she takes on a group of thugs like a real-life game of whack-a-mole, if, of course, that arcade game was traditionally played in over-the-knee black boots, a miniskirt, and a white trench coat. I'm getting concerned. They see the peak of femininity to them seems to be hurting other people. That's the trend. Am, am I on the mark there? Is this what we're doing? Just I mean, Wonder Woman was defending the innocent, right? Uh yeah, but it's still everything is violent. Everything. Okay. And when when I mean, this is like one of the main things about uh acu- accusing men is that we you know, we we can't control our urges and that why football is bad and all of that stuff. But they they seem to just be wanting to be violent all the time. All right, so three for nine. This yes. is this gets a rejection. Okay. Telling your boss to F off in the shape of water. Now, isn't this the alien sex movie? Yes. I, I never saw this so either. No. Okay. <laughs> Timid seeming Elisa gets moments a plenty in Guillermo del Toro's Oscar-winning *The Shape of Water*, a gorgeous dance sequence, a wonderfully matter-of-fact masturbation scene, a dreamy underwater awakening. But the one that had audience cheering, audiences cheering, and still does, is the scene in which she tells Michael Shannon's cartoonishly awful Colonel Strickland "F you" in sign language. It's beautiful, Steve. Beautiful, but no. You don't you encourage your daughters to do that, or no? And now I'm uncomfortable. So go. No. Go on. Okay. Three out of 10. Being unafraid to talk about delicate matters and hidden figures. This is a great movie, by the way. Kathleen or Catherine Johnson was one of the smartest mathematicians at NASA. She knew she had to choose her words carefully when her boss, Kevin Costner's Al Harrison, asked her why she kept disappearing during her shift in front of coworkers who didn't really trust her that much already. The answer to her problem was a simple enough one. She just needed someone else to solve it. In the still segregated building, she needed a laboratory she was allowed to use to be near her office, and she got it. This is a fantastic movie. My children have all seen it. They love it. Nailed it. And I wish you spent more time talking about movies like this on this list. So four for 11. Okay. We'll do a couple more. Taking a car chase up a notch in Mad Max Fury Road. It's one thing to kill your deranged megalomaniac captor. It's quite another to do it during a dusty, gritty car chase in a post-apocalyptic action film like director George Miller's 2015 Oscar winner. Here, Charlize Theron, Imperator Furiosa, is their name, finally destroys Hugh Keyes Burns Immortan Joe after his years of abuse and horrendous crimes in her community, particularly the five women he's kept for, quote, breeding. Was that in English? Yeah, I think basically she plays Farrah Fawcett in Burning Bed is basically what they're saying. Yeah, no, no. No? No. Okay. Four for 12. Um, let me try to come up with a couple of movies that you've actually seen before we run out of time. Defending Yourself in Brave. Have you seen this one? 
The, we're talking the, the Disney cartoon? Yes. Oh, it's, I love it. Who love says it. a princess has to have a suitor tearing her constricting dress? Mer, uh, Merida, or is it Merida? Shows her Merida. Merida, thank you. Shows she, she's a better shot than all of the eligible bachelors fighting for her hand in an archery contest. Much like her bouncy red curls that flow in all their glory, this medieval Scottish princess from directors Mark Andrews and Brenda Chapman's 2012 animated Disney film cannot be contained. Oh, it's a great movie, but this is, it's not that she, at the beginning, she casts all duty aside. And I, at the end, everybody realized that they had kind of redefined uh, duty in an appropriate way, but that duty w- was not something that's lost. It needs to be upheld all the more in its true context. It's right, a so fantastic it's, movie. So is it a yes or a no? It's a yes. Hold it. Okay. You're okay with this example? All right. Yeah. So what are we now? Five for 12? Five for 13, I think. Five for 13. All right, let's do one more. And this one is for you, Aaron. I'll skip to this one. Okay. Protecting those who can't protect themselves in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. All right. While condoning violence should not be encouraged, it's easy, which they did throughout this entire yes. list. Yep. It's easy to understand why Hermione Granger felt the need to punch the foul, loathsome, evil little cockroach, Draco Malfoy, in the nose. The sniveling little rich brat had it coming. He'd just gotten an innocent hippogriff sentenced to death because he'd lied to his powerful father about why the animal attacked him. You know, um, female empowerment depends on what the definition of the word is. Is, but yeah, I would say I would say yeah. that's a pretty good pretty good definition because she's standing up for herself and who she knows she is. Because I mean, Draco Malfoy has been calling her mud right. mud for years now. So what do you think? He's every she's everything to female empowerment in the movie that her the actress who plays her Emma Watson is isn't not. in real life. Yeah. Which is like what you always say about the Marvel movies and what we're hoping with Brie Larson. Right. Reports say 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by this time of year. And weight loss is among the worst because it's the most often cited New Year's resolution. If you're struggling to continue to lose weight, it's not may not even be your fault. Recent studies show, especially as we get older, our bodies resist efforts to lose weight by slowing down our metabolism. And now there's a new product to do something about that. It's called Riduzone. It's been formulated to help you manage weight by boosting metabolism and curbing appetite the natural way. It's not a stimulant. It contains OEA, a single ingredient formulated to send an I'm full stop eating signal to your brain. It's a metabolite OEA of olive oil naturally produced in the body. That means you produce it. um, I produce it. uh, Even your pets produce it. However, you'd have to drink like half a bottle of olive oil to produce the OEA in a single capsule of Riduzone. If you want to lose weight and you want to do it a healthy way, I recommend Riduzone running 30% off a three-month supply right now if you use promo code Steve, promo code Steve at RIDUZONE, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, RIDUZONE.com, RIDUZONE.com, boosting your metabolism for a slimmer you. We got five out of 14. That's actually more than I thought we might get. It's not as broken as I anticipated. It's broken. Yes. Just, Just not as broken. Okay. Everybody, we'll see you again tomorrow. Until then. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.